Support for TPR comes from Texas Biomed, an independent nonprofit infectious disease research institute focused on understanding the complexities of human health through science. Learn more about global health at texasbiomed.org. I want you to meet a friend of mine. Her name is Mandy Rose, and she's a single parent to her two teenaged children. Joseph, what time is your lunch today? Uh, well, 11.20 to 11.50. Okay. What about you, Em? Uh, whenever, because I'm in one class today. Mandy works from home, and her kids are still distance learning. 19 months into the pandemic, even though all of them are fully vaccinated. I'll put a sticky on the door, but just so you know, I have meetings at, well, meetings 8.30 to 9, 9 to 9.50, 10 to 11. They're not doing it to make some kind of political statement or because they're particularly fearful people. In fact, Mandy is among the most courageous moms I know. 1230 to 1255. They're doing it. They're still staying home because, like former Secretary of State Colin Powell, who died on October 18th of COVID complications, Mandy is immunocompromised. She has rheumatoid arthritis. And then my infusion is at 2, so I'll leave at 1.30. Okay. For her and many others, the approval of boosters for the COVID vaccine was a very big deal. It offered hope of a return to a more normal life for them, too. But since nothing is simple with this pandemic, that's true of this topic as well. Well, I'll let my friend tell you why. I'm Mandy. I'm a single mother living in Colorado with my 13-year-old son and 16-year-old daughter. We all have medical conditions, but it's my compromised immune system that's made things most complicated for us during the pandemic. The medications that keep my immune system from attacking my body also make me more vulnerable to illnesses and complications associated with viruses and infections. When the vaccine was authorized, I felt so hopeful and relieved I cried, then completed my two-shot series at the earliest chance. I did the same for my kids, so we had to wait the longest for my son, and we celebrated by buying shoes, still masked, inside a store. There's a lot the vaccine didn't change for us. We still wear masks around others, get our groceries via curbside pickup, any restaurant orders or takeout or delivery only, no gatherings with other households. For me, the booster didn't just mean another chance to see if my immune system could mount a response. It came during the rise of the Delta variant and experts were warning that not being vaccinated could lead to even more deaths. My kids were scared and so was I. Their father died in July and they did not attend the service. Their primary concern was that the people organizing the service wouldn't require either mask wearing or proof of vaccination. So I have to live with the fact that they had this foundational loss, like so many kids have had during this pandemic. They didn't get to market like many others. During a time when funerals and memorials were actually allowed just because the organizers wouldn't take precautions. I'm adamant that I don't want to be someone my children lose. Not to this, and not anytime soon. But the thought keeps me awake at night. I've had a couple of scares. I have a duty to them to survive this and be here for them. Not just because I'm their only parent, but that's a big reason. 
I've read enough about how COVID patients die to know I don't want to be one of them. Boosters. They reduce the risk that Mandy will get seriously ill or die of COVID should she become infected. But who else should get another shot? Should you? When? Why? Should we be mixing and matching? And if every eligible person gets a booster, can we then go back to a normal life? From Texas Public Radio and the Texas Newsroom, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. In this episode, we're talking with an expert on COVID vaccine boosters. On Monday, October 18th, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin talked about the death of his friend, former Secretary of State General Colin Powell, who died of COVID-19. The world lost one of the greatest leaders that we have ever witnessed. Um, Alma lost a great husband, and the family lost a tremendous father. And I lost... uh, a tremendous personal friend and mentor. Powell was 84 and being treated for a form of blood cancer called multiple myeloma. So while he was fully vaccinated, he was immunocompromised and still vulnerable to the ravages of the COVID virus. Powell had scheduled a booster but fell ill with COVID before getting it. His compromised immune system could not defeat the virus without the boost that third shot might have provided. General Powell was among millions of Americans who are now eligible for a COVID booster. But there has been a lot of confusion around the third shots for those who've had mRNA vaccines and second shots for those who've had the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So let's try to sort it out, shall we? With a vaccine expert from Texas Biomedical Research Institute in San Antonio, Texas. My email is closed. My phone is on airplane mode. So I think everything is okay. That's Dr. Tracy Voss. She's also program manager of the Vaccine Development Center of San Antonio. And we spoke a couple of times recently, virtually, about boosters. But first, I wanted to know why we need boosters at all. Dr. Voss? The data is showing that after several months of having the vaccine, that people's vaccine-targeting antibodies are slowly decreasing or waning. Okay, so as these antibodies that fight COVID start to wane, if we get another shot, then then we sort of recharge our immune systems. Is is that the idea? Yes. So who is eligible for a booster? Who's, you know, at the front of the line right now? They are the people that are 65 years or older. They are people with uh, who are receiving, say, cancer treatments, who have received transplants. They are people who work in an at-risk setting, like a grocery store or hospital. And then there are people where uh, they have these underlying medical conditions, lupus, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, things like that. So the guidance on boosters has been rapidly changing. It's changed several times over the last couple of months. And that is disconcerting to some people. Uh, For example, 
At first, a CDC committee on vaccines recommended boosters for only people over 65, nursing home residents, and adults who were at least 50 who had underlying medical conditions. And then CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky overruled that committee and added a whole bunch of other groups. When there's conflict between, you know, different panels and agencies, it seems to feed those, I think, who are hesitant about vaccines in general when it feels, you know, like to them that the people we're supposed to trust can't get on the same page, you know? Yep. And there, when you say that there is some conflict about people can't make uh, decisions, I think, too, the decisions are moving. So at one point when the data is coming out, the FDA decides, well, people over 65, those are the folks that will get the boosters. And later they're looking at more data and they decide, well, now we're also going to include, you know, people with underlying conditions or maybe people 50 years or older that are in high risk areas like hospital or the grocery stores. So that's basically where we are. Those are the recommended groups that might, might be getting the boosters. And these are recommended by the FDA and the CDC. And then they're also giving the option of folks, if they feel that they would like to get these, these are folks that would have, say, uh, like diabetes or uh, hypertension or obesity. So they've got the recommended groups that they're recommending get the, the booster. And then they're also suggesting these are other groups that might consider it. Let's talk about something else that's making some people, you know, sort of give the experts the side eye, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So the J&J was exciting because not only is it not an mRNA vaccine, so it offers people an alternative if they're uncomfortable with that, you know, sort of new to them technology, but it was also supposed to be a single shot. We all called it the one and done, remember? Well, it was a good hypothesis where we were hopeful that that would be a one and done, but now the data is showing that that hypothesis is not true. So with scientists, we have to see what is the data showing and the data is showing that really that Johnson & Johnson shot should also be a two-part regimen, just like the others. So what does that mean for people who got the J&J? &J? If you are the, the person that got that one and done shot, you should now, if it's probably six months, and they're even suggesting two months, but if it's, if it's time, you should go in for that booster. And this is different from those who got the Pfizer and the Moderna, right? So your age and your health status or your job don't factor in into whether you get another J&J &J shot, right? No, it is because that one and done, the data shows that that's maybe not really a one and done. It is time for your booster to get the same or similar type of protection as the others. So you don't have to really think about it. It's if you got one from J&J, &J, it's time for you to go in and get your second one. Now, all this research that came out about J&J has got a lot of people talking more than they were, and they already were, um, about mixing and matching. So should a Pfizer person get a Moderna booster or vice versa? Or should a J&J &J person get an mRNA booster? So what are your thoughts on that? I would say, in theory, the best way is to have matching vaccines, just because the first uh, shot that you get, your body is being trained with what is being shown to you. And so if it's a perfect world and there's no problem, you want to match. But I've also heard uh, from medical professionals that if you cannot follow up with a second shot that's a, a match, it's better for your body to get that second type of shot just because it's better than nothing. So if it's the perfect world, you would like to have the same. But if for some reason, whatever area you're in, maybe they couldn't get that exact same shot, don't worry about it too much because something is better than nothing. 
But, 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 but a National Institutes of Health study presented to the FDA vaccine panel found that for those who got a J&J single dose shot and then a Moderna booster, their antibody levels rose 76 fold in just over two weeks, compared with only a fourfold increase after another J&J shot. So, so it really does seem to me that a J&J person might want to seriously consider boosting with an mRNA shot. I would not stop them from doing that. So I, I think it's up to them and them talking with their medical professionals. But the idea of all the vaccines so far have been shown to have some uh, potential effect with protection. And so what is in your area, you go ahead and you get that that follow up shot with what is available to you. Dr. Boss, what might you say to a person who blames their vaccine hesitancy on, you know, something like all the new information that sort of just dropped about J&J, for example? When people are hesitant because new information is coming out and it seems to not match what they were what they were expecting, that really isn't true because the idea of science and and looking at the data and trying to make a decision, you make a decision with the data that you have right now, and you make the best decision you can. But of course, more data is going to be coming, and then you have to reevaluate that decision. So it's not that scientists are trying to be tricky or to hide information. It's just that you make the decision based on the information in front of you at the time. And now with J&J, they finally have enough data that they can, can decide. And when people kind of think, oh, they're hesitant because, oh, what was J&J trying to do? This was hidden. That That's not true at all. It's just that they were hoping, their hypothesis, again, they were hypothesizing that it was going to be one and done. And that would have been great if it happened. But if people said, you know, are they absolutely sure it's going to be one and done? They would have never said they're absolutely sure. They have to wait for that data to come out so they can finally make more of a decision. And so this this is just part of science. You, t- you, see, the, you see science in action right in front of you. The hypothesis is tested and then they kind of shift based on the new data. So this is this is the way science works and it is working. And yet they might further argue that medical science shouldn't be testing a hypothesis on humans. They already had enough data to go into the clinical trials. So they are not testing first on humans. In fact, the J&J vaccine is based on a viral vector called an adenovirus. And so they have used this in other instances. They have just never used it to present a protein of COVID. So they not only are they using the information they had from this point in history, they are using decades of information based on this viral vector that they've used previously. So they knew J&J was safe in humans. They just didn't know how long the immunity it provided would last. Okay, got it. So um, now back to Moderna, okay? The, the FDA panel recommended Moderna boosters be half the dose of the first two shots, while the Pfizer boosters are a third full dose. So what's going on there? Well, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's the data. They actually have been monitoring patients and seeing how these things work. And so with Moderna being a half dose, they have shown that the protection is just as strong with the half dose and that the side effects are less. So Moderna is saying that you only need a half dose. All right, I'm just going to run this down here. So those who've had the J&J should get another shot as soon as their doctor tells them to, and they should talk to them as soon as they can. But for Pfizer and Moderna boosters, the recommendations are that those people who are eligible, so 
people over 65 and adults with underlying medical conditions or who work in high-risk settings. So they, the Pfizer and Moderna people, should get their third shot, but they need to wait six months. So why should you wait for six months before getting a Pfizer or Moderna boost? Your system is already doing a good job of putting out antibodies. And so it would almost you wouldn't really be boosting because you're already uh, doing a very good production. So in terms of boosting, you wait for kind of that lull to start happening. I'm going to guess that that lull happens for everyone eventually. So if boosters are good for some people, why shouldn't everyone get one? Everybody, I think, is a little bit too much right now because we have some folks that still haven't been vaccinated the first time. And I think that's important. I think the population should really get out there. The vaccine is available so people can get vaccinated. Those are the people that should probably go out and get that vaccine first. Right. And that message is so important, I think. Uh, People who haven't gotten their first shots really need to get them, right? Especially as we head toward the holidays and the height of cold and flu season and all of that. But I don't think that comforts people with healthy immune systems who are fully vaccinated and may wonder if they're heading into another COVID winter not as protected as they could be. So I hate to just sort of ask you the same question in a different way, but but can you talk a bit more about their level of protection? So for healthy people who are being told to hold off on getting their boosters, this information is coming to them from the FDA. And this is based on the data that the FDA has uh, taken a look at, that it's showing that the immune systems of healthy people are able to produce antibodies and can protect those individuals uh, against the virus. So there really is no reason to boost or to, to boost the immune system of healthy individuals whose immune system is working properly. The immune system is doing the job. We really shouldn't interfere. When that waning takes place and we know that people's immune systems are maybe not as prepared to battle against the virus, that is when the boost uh, should be taking place. All right. So let's talk a bit more about immunocompromised folks like Mandy, who we heard from earlier in the show. Now, that group includes some cancer patients, organ transplant recipients, people with HIV, There are a lot of people with immune systems that don't mount a robust response to potential invaders, whether it's because of disease or because of medicines that are used to suppress an overactive immune system and treat disease. For simplicity's sake, I have also been calling their third shots boosters when technically they're an additional shot to provoke an immune response that typically will occur after two shots in a healthy person. So will immunocompromised people need a fourth shot? So in terms of will they need a fourth shot, most likely because they are immunocompromised, they will. This is something that will have to be decided by that person and their healthcare provider. Because they know they are immunocompromised, I think they, they kind of have a, a plan for, for that individual. The CDC on October 25th seemed to clear immunocompromised people for that fourth shot, saying that at least six months after getting their third shot, they should consider it. That's for those who have gotten one of the mRNA vaccines. So would we call this fourth shot their booster? Um, it's, it's something that people have been discussing and really 
we don't really need to say, is this shot a shot or a booster? Basically, we're worried uh, more about, will people be protected? It's just a, a nomenclature, I think, more for scientists and the general public. The general public should really be uh, focused on, can I be as protected as I can? When I think about Colin Powell or my friend Mandy, I think about how vulnerable some people are, even when they try to do everything right. They get their vaccines. They try to make careful choices to keep themselves safe. And yet they must rely on the rest of us to also make good decisions to protect them. In many cases, you know, we can't tell if we're walking through the grocery store if a person is at higher risk for severe disease, if they get infected, I promise you, you wouldn't be able to tell with Mandy. So that's why we continue to wear masks in public all the time. And it's one of the many reasons we get vaccinated to protect others. Dr. Boss, I would love to hear your thoughts on all of that. My thoughts about that are, first of all, when you look at folks, you don't really know what what battles they're fighting. You don't know what their underlying conditions are because some are easy to see, others you you can't see. So really you should, I would say, refrain judgment from people that are going in and, and wanting to get vaccines because they know best and hopefully they've discussed this with medical professionals and they make a, an educated decision. So really you should worry about protecting yourself and your family and maybe having those conversations with them. But in terms of people or neighbors where you take a look at them, you really can't make a call as to is this person, uh, do they have underlying conditions? And then we've also heard in the news of some people, they realize uh, that they did have underlying conditions that they didn't know about because of their susceptibility. And in fact, one of my neighbors got to get the vaccine early and I was like, oh, that's great. And he told me about his underlying condition, but I would have never known. So it is really difficult. Like, who do you protect? And in this case, maybe you just try to protect as many people as you can. Are you surprised by the level of rancor surrounding the topic of vaccines during a pandemic? Not anymore. I was at first. And now I just see it's it's a really difficult time in history right now. And I think it's it's difficult for people to remain optimistic and be open. And so the idea that there are fights and anger, it's just a really tough situation. And I guess you have to kind of allow people to have that. And just don't don't take it personally and don't let it affect your health care. If like if you are a person that wants to do this, just it's it's about you and your health and it's about the community's health. And how about when evolving scientific and medical guidance is interpreted by some as suspicious or even malicious? I mean, this is a novel virus still. It's a novel virus. Maybe we ought to all cut each other some slack. We're all kind of learning as we go along. We are all only human. We're all doing the best we can with the data. It, it's a very difficult time in history. It's where people are scared, people are angry, and you have to remember the point of conflict is the virus. It's not each other. We're all doing the best we can to fight the virus, and so we do. We have to cut each other some slack. Thank you, Dr. Boss. That's Dr. Tracy Boss of the Texas Biomedical Research Institute and program manager of the Vaccine Development Center of San Antonio. I can't tell you when this pandemic will be over, and I have no idea when we'll get back to living without the anxiety of a virus 
stalking all of us like a shadow. But I do know this, vaccines, every single shot, bring us closer. If you're eligible for a booster, if you're over 65 or over 18 with an underlying medical condition, or if you're an adult who lives or works in long-term care or another high-risk setting, or if you're any age, no matter what you do, and got the Johnson Johnson vaccine, please talk to your doctor about whether a COVID booster shot is right for you. And everyone else, if you haven't gotten your first shots yet, please, please do. I don't know when this is going to end, but I do know your vaccines make things a little bit safer for Mandy, her kids, and for families like theirs. For now, that's enough for me. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by me. Our executive producer is Fernanda Camarena. Additional production, music, and sound design by Jacob Rosati. TPR's news director is Dan Katz. Special thanks to Mark Mehmet for his continuing contributions to the show. Petri Dish is a production of TPR and the Texas Newsroom, a collaboration of public radio stations across Texas and NPR. I'm Bonnie Petri. Talk to you soon. I'm Dan Katz, News Director at TPR, here with a disclosure. Texas Biomed is among TPR's financial supporters. That did not, of course, play any role in our decision to talk with Dr. Boss in this episode. Thank you for listening, and now here's Bonnie with a message about our upcoming pledge drive. In this time of high stress, I know most of us have sought small comforts to keep us going. The intimate connection with the voices of NPR and TPR have been one of those comforts for me. They all make my life better by helping me make sense of what's happening around me, teaching me things I didn't even know I wanted to learn, and making me laugh out loud. Have we made your life better? If so, please consider supporting our work by making a gift to TPR now. Thank you.